If you've got your Bible with you, um, can we turn, if possible, to Acts chapter 4 and then down into chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Um, if you're a visitor with us this morning, this is your first time with us, can we just say you're really, really welcome, and we hope that you feel at home with us. We're doing a series at the minute of the book of Acts, so you understand where we're at today, and we're looking at the fact that God has called us to be a part of the sequel, that God still wants us to serve him and to be a part of this sequel. Here we go. We're going to read from verse 32 down to verse 11, and it says this. As the believers were one heart and one mind, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything that they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them all. And there was no needy person among them. From time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money for the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to the, anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, from the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Over in the chapter 5. Now a man called Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's food knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. A great fear seized all and heard that, that had, when that had happened. Some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this price you, or this price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of those men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all he heard about these things. Boys, oh dear, that church was getting serious, weren't they? That church was getting serious when things like this was happening. Folks, we asked three questions. Sunday week ago when I preached, we asked three questions about the seriousness of our faith and our walk with Jesus and all of those things. And here were the three questions that we asked. We asked this, is there enough evidence today to convict you of being a Christian? Is there enough evidence that somebody would say you're definitely a Christian? Do you still believe really in the power of Jesus' name? That he's still the healer or miracle worker? That he's still almighty God? If you were forbid, like the apostles were there, to preach the word of God and to go on the streets to preach the name of Jesus, if someone was to come to us today and say, you can no longer talk about the Lord Jesus out on the street, you can no longer go out and witness for your faith, what would you do? Would you obey the authorities or would you obey the Lord Jesus? 
Their answers were yes, yes, yes. They were totally sold out. I challenged you a couple of weeks ago by just saying to you, look, if that's not where you are just now, let me tell you, time is short, and this is now the time to make sure you get to that place with the Lord Jesus. Now is the time to strengthen your faith. Now is the time to encourage yourself in the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And you know, this church did it through prayer. They met for the word, for prayer, for encouragement. They met in the courts. They met from house to house to pray, to strengthen each other in a time that was going to start persecution. And friends, we as a church, we want to facilitate even. We want to facilitate, friends, places where we can come and pray together as a group and homes to home as we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. As we look at chapter 4 and into chapter 5 this morning, I want you to grasp the message. I want you to realize the importance of why these people came together for prayer. If you look at that first part of chapter 4, verse 32 and 33, you see that this multitude who believed were of one heart and one spirit. Isn't that lovely? One heart and one spirit. But here's another question for you this morning. How on earth do you get by this stage, they reckon there was 8,000 people who were now confessing Christ the Savior. How on earth do you get 8,000 people to be of one heart and of one spirit? Well, you know the old story. A family that prays together. Exactly. These people were coming to pray together and they were staying together through that. And you know, friends, we at East Point, we have to say, we're going nine months now and there's a lovely sense of unity and peace that we enjoy. But you know, friends, unity needs to be protected. Unity needs to be worked out. You know, Nigel talked last Sunday morning about the fact that this church was at threat. And we know from looking at the book of Nehemiah, friends, that sometimes the threat comes from outside And sometimes the threat can even come from inside. But there's an onus on each one of us. As we do life together, as we do church together, as we are family together, we have to realize always we're a collective, we're a community. It cannot be about one individual. It cannot be about your way or somebody else's way. It has to be about God's way. Because when we make it more than about us, then we have a problem. As people always say, there's no I in team. Sure, there's not. And friends, we are a collective of people. And the purpose that we need to live for is the purpose of our one and only, the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we need to be united and work together. And where there may be at times fallouts and disagreements, friends, we always need to come back to the Word of God. And we always need to work it out in the Word as the Word tells us to do. You know, friends, we often hear people believing in pastors' authority to speak into people's lives. And people are behind that and they want to say, the leadership we want to follow. Hebrews tells us, you know, to honor people in leadership and follow those. But it's always really strange. Everybody's into that until somebody has to speak to the pastor. And then we're not so sure. But the Bible says, and the Bible has things to keep us in that spirit of unity, to follow the leadership, to do all of these things. But they were at one heart and mind because they prayed. But secondly, they were of one heart and soul because these people knew their mission. These people knew the vision. These people knew the vision that God had for them. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Do you know why we meet at East Point? 
And some of you are thinking on your feet very quickly. Oh, um, we come because we want to worship God. True. Because we were told this morning it is a command to break bread and we want to come and break bread. And some of you are very shrewd or already getting your bookmark out to look at our values. The value of our church is to value the presence, to value people, and to value the purposes of God. But my question to you this morning is, what does that really mean? How do we fulfill those visions? How do we actually go about doing those things? These people had a vision, had a very simple strategy, and they knew that without a vision, people perish. And you know, friends, the truth of it is, our vision incorporates that vision, and it's a very, very simple vision. And our brother spoke about it again this morning. Matthew 8, 28 says this, Go therefore, make disciples. Of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Maybe it's going to come up here, and it talks about how the Holy Spirit comes so that we can be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. I want to make this statement to you this morning, and hopefully it'll maybe come up there as well. There's nothing coming up at the minute I can't see. If we are, oh, brilliant, okay? Praise God. Can we go to the next slide there, guys? I want to make this wee statement this morning. Didn't get this in a book. I got it all by myself. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> Listen, the last command of Jesus should always be our first commission. Do you get that, church? The last command of Jesus should always be our commission. And what was the last command of Jesus? The last command of Jesus was this, go make disciples. That's what his church is all about. It's multiplying through discipleship. He wants us to go into this world to make disciples. Their vision was to tell people what Christ had done for them and to reproduce other followers of the Lord Jesus. And that's our vision. Out of such a mission and a vision are unified, purpose-driven people who are determined to obey the call. And you know stuff, the church this morning, people who get envisioned, people who get mission-minded, there's three things will happen to them. They'll become resourceful. They will become empowered and empowering. And they will understand the blessing of the favor of God. Can we get that this morning? People who are envisioned, people who have visionable this, they'll be resourceful. They will be empowered and empowering people. And they will understand the favor of God. Resources, church. Purpose-driven people who are passionate for what the lost is and the, the looking at people who, and we've all been there and we're still going through that process at times, but when you realize that Jesus came into our world to seek and save that was lost, when he came to the world and, and he looks at that woman at the well and her brokenness of so many failed relationships, all the people that he touched who were ill and sick, we're still living in a world with people with brokenness. And the Lord wants to use us to spread his message to say, do you know, there's another way of living. There's another way of existing. And that existence was in the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. And what he's telling us is this, that as a people, he wants to get on board with that. And he has given us and he's blessed us with stuff. And he wants us to use that stuff to resource the kingdom work. He's given us and he wants us to use what we have out of Calvary's love 
friends, the resource financially, physically, spiritually, the work that he's called us to do. You know, friends, even as people at East Point, if every single one of us was to give as God wants us to give, friends, we would excel in an amazing way. These people were willing to share for the common good. We've read that this morning, that nobody would be in lack. And I think there's reasons behind that. The first one was this. It was out of sincere brotherly love. Because they loved each other so much, they would give of what they had to keep everybody in a way that nobody would have lacked. But it was another thing. I believe there was a deeper thing going on there as well. These guys knew their vision. They knew where they wanted to go. They knew what they had to do. And they were not prepared to let anybody lack behind. They were prepared to share what they had and to give what they had so everybody could keep with the vision. I believe that we, friends, will need to become like maybe even the Church of Macedonia. If we're going to fulfill that mission that God has called us to fulfill, to go into the world, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that, friends, we might have to become like the church at Macedonia and give even when it hurts. To fulfill that mission that God has called us to do. Friends, they considered what was not theirs or theirs to be the Lord's. And the problem with the 21st century church today is this that sometimes we struggle even with the biblical principle of tithing. We struggle, even friends, sometimes to give of our 10%. Because sometimes we don't see, actually, everything that we have belongs to the Lord's anyway, so therefore we need to give. And I believe passionately. In church life today, if every church member was giving their 10%, friends, so much more could be done in the kingdom because of that. Friends, it's either the subject I'm preaching on this morning or it's, hey, bye, I'm roasting. Can we open that door? Is it all right if we open the door for a wee bit? Anybody else dying? Everybody said amen. Okay, get a wee bit of air in. Thank you for that. Do you know, friends, listen to this this morning. The success and the failure of our vision to reach the loss can nearly be forecasted by what we value our money for. The success of what we do can be forecast on where we spend our money. If we value our lifestyles over valuing the purposes of God, we'll come to failure. But if we seek the kingdom of God first, and then everything else will be added onto us as righteousness, then we're going to see the hand of God move in a mighty, mighty way for things to happen. Turn with me this morning to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 10 says this. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offering. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole, I underline that, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me on this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be no more room in it to store. Friends, the key there is the whole. We need to bring our whole 10% into the house of God. We need to give our whole 10% to the work of God so that the work of God may increase and the work of God may be blessed. 
Notice also that these people brought their offering and they led it at the feet of the leadership. They led it at the apostles' feet. Friends, the truth is the 10% is not ours. It's God. Psalm 24 tells us everything belongs to God. But the 10%, friend, we bring and we lay it down. Do you know, over the years, friends, in my experience of leading church, I, friends, have heard stories and have seen things where people will withhold 10% because they don't like maybe the vision or what the pastor's doing. Do you know, friends, who are they robbing? They think they're robbing maybe the pastor, but they're not. They're robbing God because the tithe belongs to God. I've seen down the years where people have nearly give their 10%, but there's provisos. If it's spent on this and it's spent on that, I'll give you the 10%. But you know, friends, look at the thing here. Whose is the 10%? The 10% is not ours, it is God's. And some people say, but what about if the, the leadership of the church aren't spending the 10% appropriate? The 10% was never yours. They're under God's authority. And if they spend it wrong, they will stand before God and they will give an account for what they spend that money on. And that's why at this point we're transparent, friends, with the money. That's why once a month we put it up. We'll have an AGM to show you where the money has gone. But friends, it's God's money. It's not our money. I remember one time in one of the churches I pastored and we were trying to encourage people to get out of a building and, and to get a new building. And there was a lady in the church and she told me once that she was, because she was there from the beginning of the church, that she was an elder in the church. And as soon as I was doing things that she didn't like, well, of course, well, I wasn't her favorite boy anymore. And we came to do a building fund Sunday, one Sunday, and I could see her. And people, sometimes you forget that what we can see up here. And I could see her turn to her friend in the offering and put her hand out. And this was trying to get a major offering to do something good for God. And you could see the look in her face. It was like, if to say, it's all I'm giving. Her hand was pretty high up. I think she needed me to see it or wanted me to see it. And it was like, almost like, that's all I'm giving. Friends, she wasn't robbing me. She was robbing God. It wasn't my vision. It was God's vision to grow the church. It's always God's vision to grow his church. And maybe, friends, you feel, well, people, do they really do that? Well, sometimes, friends, they do. And do you know something? We've seen it here. Ananias and Sapphira. I want to point this, and I haven't got this in my note, but just thought has come to mind. Do you know, friends, even when great things are happening, even when God's blessing in this way in church and blessing in that way in church, and great things are happening. This church, we're seeing lots of people saved. They were seeing lots of people getting healed. They were seeing lots of people doing great things. But in the midst of all that as well, you have a couple of Christian people acting out. And the truth of it is, and it's how we need to roll, it's how we need to learn, that as we do church together, you may get somebody acting out. I love Robert, Pastor Robert Scott. He's up in Macarai. He's a retired pastor, but he's a great pastor. I remember Robert saying, see, when God's doing something, especially in days of revival, when great things are, he says, you've got three things going on there. He says, you'll have the Spirit of God moving mightily. He says, but you'll always have the flesh working too, and you'll always have the enemy working. And it's a bit like what Nigel was talking about last week. Friends, no matter when we're trying to do or what we're going to try and do in the future in our church, you're always going to have those three things operating. The Spirit of God wanting to do his best among us. The old enemy wanting to tear everything down and some people acting out. 
And it happened in the first century church, and it's going to happen today. But friends, we need to be not those people. We need to work at not being those people. We need to work, as we've said here, to keep the unity and keep the spirit moving so that God can bless us where we're because we want to see great things happening in our community. Ananias and Sapphira, we don't know what was going on in this wee couple's mind. Some people, some of the theologians say that were the really Christians because the way Peter directs them, he says, look, you're giving this money, but sure that money was yours anyway. But if he was talking to a believer, it would have been different because everything belongs to the Lord and we are not our own. So our money's not even ours. God blesses us in the sense of this. He says, there's your wage packet. I only be asking you for 10% of it. The rest of it you can live on. But in this and in this situation, here's this couple and they're acting out and they're playing out. Some think maybe because Barnabas did it. And remember, and I know we have the philosophy of don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. But in this day, in this church, it was a very public offering. They came and gave it in front of the people at the offer of the faith of the apostles. And maybe these guys thought, well, Barnabas got this recognition and I think we'll do it too. We'll do it because I want to be the big man. She was thinking, I want to be the big girl. And we'll give this. But maybe as they went and they sold what they had, they realized themselves, if we give all this money, we're going to leave ourselves short. So they decided then to hold back some of that money and not give that money to the work of God. And yet, friends, when we give, you can't outgive God. And when you give him faithfulness, God always honors. You know, they thought they had just lied to Peter and there was a word of knowledge going on because Peter knew what they had done and Peter directed to this. And the truth is they didn't lie to the man. They lied to the Spirit of God. In church this morning, sometimes there's an awful lot of lies go on in church. I heard somebody recently say, sometimes we sing a lot of lies in church because sometimes what we sing we don't believe. And we don't act out in faith. And it's not just about money, friends. Sometimes, friends, you know, we can lie about commitment. We get excited in the early days of church and we put our name down for stuff and we're going to this and we're going to support this and we go to do these things. And then all of a sudden, this wee tiny ailment on a Sunday morning, a wee sneeze becomes we needed to rush to the doctors because we were dying. But the truth was, we just wanted to wee lie on in bed. So we ring up somebody else and say, oh, I'm dying. I can't come to church this morning. Somebody rings an hour later and I invite you out for coffee and you're out that door. Who do we lie to? Do we lie to the pastor, the, the person heading up the team, that team in church? Or do we lie to the Spirit of God? Friends, we need to be in that place where we are faithful to what God has called us to do, not with half-heartedness, but with a wholeness of heart and keep him faithful. Do you know, and I was looking it up earlier on and the service came to mind, Revelation 2, do you know there's a crying of faithfulness? So some of you is now die on the hypothermia. We'll close the door. When you start to see people put their really hats on and their jackets, you know it's getting a bit too cold. But here, guys, do you get what I'm saying? We need to have integrity of spirit. We need to have faithfulness and spirit when we're committed to doing what we're doing for God. Friends, do we get sick? We do get sick when we need to take a Sunday off. But let's not lie. 
to say we can't be here because we can't be bothered or we can't get out of bed. At least if that's the truth, tell the truth. But the, the thing is, we need to be faithful to the work that God has called us to do. And these people had a vision. They knew the people needed to come to faith and they were working to get to that place. Friends, time's really beating me this morning and I'm going to look at this and maybe want to flick over some things. But here's a couple of things too that I want to say. Do you know, the 10% belongs to the Lord to get the work done. I believe if churches everywhere would only give their 10%, it would make such a difference to the life of church. I spoke to somebody recently about missionaries that were in their family. And um, every time they would come home, instead of resting, instead of enjoying their family because of the sacrifice that they would have out on the field, night after night they would be on the road trying to do meetings, to raise finance, to keep them out on the mission field. And the truth of it is, see if all God's people were tithing, God's servants, no matter where they are, would be able to do the work and get the proper rest as well. Friends, I can say this now because of your kindness to us and the kindness of churches that we've been in, but do you know, and I thank you for how you support us. But you know, throughout the UK and all over the world today, there are pastors and church workers who live beneath the standard of living, while some of their congregation never think of tithing and yet can live quite a good standard of life. And the Bible here and it's not just, I don't want to focus on pastors or work church there, but it's all of us. But friends, this church, remember their vision? I had a brotherly love. They wanted everyone to have all that. They wanted to look after the people. And secondly, they wanted the mission to go forward. So they were not going to put those who were at the forefront of the mission in a place where they would struggle. They wanted them to be in a good place where they were going to be looking after them that they can get on with the work of God. And let's learn that. We thank you that you, you do that already here, but we will have our missionaries in the future and other church workers. And friends, we need to make sure that we are looking after them in our future because the mission needs to go on. And we need to make that perfect. I was thinking earlier on about this. Do you know, do you ever say today about, you know, places like Microsoft and, and um, Facebook and all, and they say that they're the best companies to work for? They have such a good work balance relationship with their people. They're, they're giving their people rooms where they can go and pet puppies. They've got rooms with beanbags. Don't worry about that because if I get into a beanbag, I would never get out of it again. You know, the areas where they can go and chill out. Why? Because they're creating such an atmosphere where they're allowing their most creative people to become even more creative. Church, the best employer ever should be the church. We should be leading the way and have the standards of all those who we will employ in our future that they can come to that place, that they can have the greatest creativity when they get time spending time with the Father, that they can get time to seek His face so that we, they can lead us to where God wants us to be within the vision. Time speak me. We're going to go to the next point. They become empowered and empowering. Look here, friends, at Psalm 133. 
And listen to these words. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It was the dew of Hermon was falling on the Mount Zion, and there the Lord bestows the blessing, even like for life forevermore. Oil, what are we talking about here? If maybe you're not a church background, you don't maybe understand this. See, oil, like in you know, Saudi Arabia, the black stuff is the way for them to get their money. And in biblical times, see the oil there, we're talking about olive oil. If there was plenty of olive oil, you were rich. If there was plenty of oil flowing, you were well off. You were good living if you had some olive oil. It was a sign of prosperity. It was a sign of blessing. And here we see in Psalm 133 what the Lord has said. See when people get together and they have unity and they get in the vision of God and they're following what I have for them, I'm going to anoint that. It was a sign of anointing, a sign of blessing when God poured the oil over someone's head. God says, when you get behind my vision, when you get behind what I want you to do, when you get behind for those that I've called you to be behind, I will flow out the oil. There will be, we call it in church, if you're no Pentecostal, you'll know the old expression of anointing. God will anoint that. God will bless that. And as we, as God's people, when we get to preach the gospel, as we read here in verse 33, when we keep preaching the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we keep the vision ahead of us to make disciples, God will anoint that work. God will bless that work and God will empower us to do it. But not only will he empower us, just like we have the opportunity to give to the work. Do you know, friends, too, those that you follow those who are leading you, you can either de... I don't even know if this is a word. Somebody may need to slap me afterwards. Depower them or you can empower them. Here's a couple of wee things, just a thought, practical stuff. Even we talked about financial restrictions. Some pastors have a great heart to do mighty things. But because people aren't tithing, they can't do it. Now, friends, we are blessed. We are blessed. But there's much more for us to do. I found this wee slide. I thought this was funny. The pastor's vision, the church's budget. Yeah. What the pastor would love to do and what the pastor could only afford to do. Let's empower ourselves to do what God has called us to do. Sometimes pastors and leaders end up being referees instead of the reference to the gospel. Sometimes there's so much infighting in some churches, they end up refereeing so many squabbles about stuff instead of being a reference to the word of God to tell people how they really should live. Let's never get to be in that place in East Point. Sure, we won't. We're going to work hard to keep that at the door. And sometimes leadership guys can be lumbered with doing so many practical stuff, they're not actually doing what God called them to do. Guys don't know why I'm going to say this, and they'll probably beat me up later on for saying that. But I've watched our elders the last couple of weeks, from the very beginning. These men who are called to study the Word and to pray, and on a Sunday you watch them. And look, they do it with a heart and a half, because they want to do it. But you'll see them on a Sunday. They're the first to come up here to take stuff down, with other guys as well. Can I provoke you this morning? Is that really good time management for them? Would it not be better that some of you do that? So easily can do that and allow these men time to mingle with the con congregation and if they need to talk to someone that they can do that 
and they can pray with people, would that not be more fitting and, and better for us if we allow people to do that as well? We need to empower our leaders by helping them. Don't criticize unnecessary. I know we don't always get it right, but you know, leading church sometimes can be like standing on a football pitch sometimes. Our Jordan played football for years. And um, I used to go and listen, and I, I really don't, I'm not into football and don't get it. I don't know why people get so excited about kicking a bag of wind around a field, but there you go. But as the dutiful dad, I would go and support him. And I would hear parents shouting in and saying, oh, you're numpting, you should be doing this and doing that and doing the other, and watching the people on the field doing their best to do what they have to do. Do you know some churches can be like that as well? Everybody else knows how to control the ball better than the leadership. And yet they're not the ones in the field. And that's what's that on our future. That we are supportive. Friends, you may be looking in at the church leadership and some of the decisions they make and some of the things that they have to do. But you know, you're probably looking in from your perspective and your friend's perspective. But a leadership, we have to take the perspective of what God is saying and what is best for everybody in the church and knowing everything mostly about the life of people in the church, and that's where we make our decisions from. Empower our leadership by agreeing with them and working with them for all that God has for us in the future. Friends, we're coming to an end. People of unity in one heart and soul are resourceful. They are empowering and they empower. But lastly, friends, very quickly, friends, they operate in the favor of God. Look at verse 33 there, the last part of it, of 33, and it says this. With great power, the apostles continued to testify the resurrection. And it goes on to say, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. You see, God will bless. God will honor when we're doing what God asks. None of us would give to anything or support anything if we knew what they had was not being appropriated, right? Many charities cease operation because they don't use the money for what it was for. And people think, well, you know, we're not giving up because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And in church life, when we're doing what the Father asks us to do, I think the Father blesses us and people get blessed as well and people want to get behind that. We want to become that church. When we're committed to do what the Father asks us to do, that's when we have the favor of God. But you know, the early church ran into a difficulty. They saw lots of people getting saved over that period of time. 8,000 at that stage. But you know, 10 years later, They were still in the first base where God told them to move out from. He says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And 10 years later, they were still only in Jerusalem. And the Lord sent further persecution to move these people out. What happens in some churches as well, they live in the past blessings. They live in some revelation of something really good that happened and they get so insular about that. But we need to keep the vision always before us. It's not just about here where we are, but God's saying that we have to go to our Judea, our Samaria, and to the ends of our earth. 
And will you pray for us as a leadership team that God reveals to us as well where our Judea and our Samaria should be as we support those who too will go to the ends of the earth. Let's not get bypassed, but let's get on with the vision. And vision again, friends, is quite simply this. And we're going to keep the main thing, the main thing. Jesus said, go make disciples. And I would encourage you tonight. It's great to see that there's 70 plus on that list. Come, let's become better disciples. And let's go make disciples. That we can be resourceful, that we can be empowered, and we can be favored. My dear children, there is great blessing within this place. And my children are experiencing blessing. But there are those sitting who at the moment are feeling discouraged and distressed. My children, that that you're going through at the moment, it is for a purpose and for a reason. You feel this trial is overcoming me. Let me assure you, you will not be lost within this trial. That trial, you will come out triumphant. It is for a season. So in your trial, turn to me and I will bring you through. And when you come through, you will experience the greatness and how almighty your Lord God is. You will come out as a diamond that has been hewn. It is painful, I know. But as you come forth, you will be coming out with rejoicing and you will be able then to administer to those who are hurting and are distressed, that are lost, bewildered, because where we have placed you, there is a lot within this community. So my beloved, take courage. I am the Lord and I love you and I will deliver you. Hold fast to his word and you will be amazed at what the Lord God has for you because in the future you will be a mighty warrior for him. Just hold fast. It is just for a season and that season will end and it will end in glory. Be encouraged. Sing with your heart unto the Lord because in every trial there is triumph.